I am Nikita. I'm here with my mother, Nita, and this is our Wintrade Global Talk. And we both are really honored and humbled at the same time to be here today. The best way to describe my mother, uh, I have never actually had to formally introduce her, so it's really difficult for me to think of a formal introduction for her. But I'm just going to say what people say about her. The best way to describe her is most people who know her well say she's blind. She is completely blind to negativity, to pessimism, to despair, to dejection. And it's not some kind of an unrealistic optimism. It's this can-do attitude and the focus on what can be done and to action that. That's my mom. It's kind of, uh, we call her the lemonade lady because you know how people say when life gives you lemon, make lemonade. And she makes gallons of those. So definitely she's got that positivity. She is successful, but not just in her career. I think she's successful in all facets of her life and most importantly, very happy as well. She's a very strong pillar for our family and uh, she supports the community in ways that she can. And she's definitely made significant accomplishments in her career aspect as well. And I am the lucky one, I'm Nikita, I'm her daughter, and I'm blessed to have two really wonderful parents who've instilled a positive mindset, uh, given me a secured attachment and instilled a growth mindset in me. And I'm excited to share that. And that's why I decided to become an entrepreneur a coach. I work as a parent coach as well. And, and that's what I do. I, I love talking to people. And uh, I don't like to describe myself or define myself with my job titles or educational qualifications because that's not who I am. That's not what defines me. What defines me is the values and the beliefs that my parents instilled in me. And that's what makes me, I think my business card should say, a happy human who's willing to learn and willing to help as well. So that's me. Now, going to the presentation, let me just give you a little bit of context why we're here. I was talking to Dr. Yvonne a couple of months ago, weeks ago, about something totally unrelated. It wasn't anything to do with Winthrop Global Talk. And as I described her some concepts, and then I told her a story, my mother's story, a story that I had heard all my life from my, my father, my mom's side of family, all, all relatives, but never her. And that's, that was the first time I realized I've actually never heard my mom's story from her. So I asked her, mom, Dr. Yvonne wants you to share your story. Would you be willing to share your story? And that was the first time I asked my mom for her story and I got a very different story. So the version that I had heard from my father and the version that I heard from my mother were not really the same. They're... So I'm gonna present you with both versions of this story. One version is a typical Bollywood sad movie that will get you fetching tissues. And my mom's version of the story will probably make any Disney princess jealous. That's the way it is. So let me go back and share my mom's story. So let me set the scene before I jump into the story. This is what was happening. So back in India, just to give you a bit of cultural context as well, to set the scene, um, it is important that we understand what happened in India 60 years ago, or and some of this is relevant even today. So a custom called as dowry was prevalent in India. And what I mean by dowry is this is form of cash or anything that's equivalent to cash, expensive gifts that are given by the bride's family to the groom's family. So 
the girl's parents would hand over a bunch of cash or um, really expensive gifts, even to the likes of a car or a house, to the groom's family. This is common. Now, this is banned legally, so similar things do happen any which way. And if not, then at least the expectation is that the bride's family or the girl's family takes care of the entire wedding expense. That's a lot of money to spend. So that kind of makes a parent, if you have a daughter, think twice, oh boy, this is a liability. That, that thought does creep in for a lot of people. And especially if you're poor, that's a big deal. There are other cultural practices as well, which mean that having a daughter is not always desirable and by these cultural practices what i mean is well in the western world what happens is when a man and a woman get married they set up their own family but in india firstly to let you know we don't leave our family home until we get married so not at 17 or 18 we don't leave home and set up our own kind of go live with friends or at uni none of that we still continue to live with our family up until we get married so when the girl gets married, instead of staying with her husband only, she's expected to join her husband's family home. So live with her husband and his parents, and if he has any siblings and his entire family. So the bride or the, the girl is supposed to take care of the husband and his family. So in the old age, what happens is the son is looking after his old parents financially as well as physically. But if you only have girls, if you only have daughters, there's no one to look after you in your old age. So that again makes it slightly undesirable in a way to have a daughter because you will have no one to look after you. The third thing again is family name. So it's the son who carries on the family name. So that's why, again, it makes it more desirable to have a son. So for all these reasons, traditionally, sons are preferred over daughters. And what, what has that led to? So that led to imbalanced gender ratio. So gender imbalance, we have 943 females per thousand men. And this is because of ill practices such as female infanticide or feticide. So when people find out they have a girl baby uh, right in the stage of pregnancy, a lot of people go for abortion. And because of this, we have a massive gender imbalance. Amidst all this, because a girl is considered as more of a liability, girls' education is not given a priority because parents tend to think, what's the point investing in her education? She's going to go away to her husband's house and look after his family. She's not going to look after us. So what's the point? And because of this, 40%, so this is a latest statistics from Asian Development Bank, 40% of girls are out of education who are 15 to 18 years old and 65% of them are involved in household chores. So my mother was born in this kind of a situation where a girl child is not really considered an asset or something to be desired. Most parents would want to have a son and my grandparents had a baby girl. To give you a bit of background about my grandparents, they were struggling themselves. So they lived in extreme poverty. And again, by extreme poverty, what I mean is poverty, which is not like what we consider poverty in the Western world. So poverty was, we have 10.7% of the population living with less than a $1.90 a day. 
So my grandparents lived like that. They lived in a shack and they had a little baby girl. When my mother was born, she lived in a shack. She was born in extreme poverty. This is what I had all heard from my father. And I told my mom, mom, this is what dad told me about you. Is that true? And she said, yeah, that is true. Now to make matters worse, my mother wasn't just born in extreme poverty in a little shack or a hut. She was born to an alcoholic father and a very young mother who was illiterate. And now I, I have met my grandmother. Uh, I don't know if she's just illiterate or it's dyscalculia, dyslexia or any of those things, but she can barely tell the difference between 100 rupees and 10 rupees. If you show her a bill, she, she can't really distinguish. So having an alcoholic father and an illiterate mother didn't really help with the poverty situation. But what made it even worse was when my mother was about six, her mother suffered from paralysis. So my mother thus became in extreme poverty, a young carer as well. So she had to take care of her sick mother, an alcoholic father and a two-year-old little brother. So I said to my mother, mom, how can you say that your life wasn't really challenging? Dad told me that your life was challenging. Is that true or not? And she said, yeah, well, this is all true. So I said, well, there you go. So how can you say your life wasn't full of struggle? And she said, but that's because I didn't think my life was full of struggles. So far, I always thought my life was full of opportunities. And I was shocked at that. I said, what do you mean by opportunities? She said, well, look at yourself. Uh, at what age did you learn to cook or to look after your family? Uh, 20, 22? I said, well, yeah. She said, look, I got to learn all of that when I was six. Don't you think that was an opportunity? And I was shocked. I said, mom, so okay, if you, if you genuinely believe that was an opportunity, why didn't you teach me at the age of six to, to cook and to look after the family? Why did you send me to school? And she said, well, I don't advocate for that. I won't preach parents to, to keep their children at home, not send them to school and make them do the chores. That's not what I want to say. But what I want to say is, it's the narrative that I choose to tell myself. If I play the victim card and I tell myself that, oh, look at poor me, this is what happened to me. As a victim, I would constantly feel powerless. But if I choose to change my narrative, I choose to change my life. And that's what I did. And that's why I didn't tell myself that my life is full of struggles. I told myself that my life is full of opportunities. And that's the difference. So I asked her, really? So you, you thought you had a lot of opportunities. So what did you learn from them? And she said she learned to focus on solutions. So she had a solution-focused approach. And that's what she wanted to share with everyone when I asked her to share her story. What she means by a solution-focused approach was she counted on her blessing. She counted on what she had rather than what she didn't have. Instead of focusing on, oh, but I don't have a decent family. I don't have a decent home to live. Look at people around me. She counted on what she had. She counted her blessings. She focused on the fact that she was able-bodied because she could see her mother who was paralyzed. So she thought, well, I'm lucky that I'm able-bodied. I'm able to do all my work. And that's what she counted on. So she had a vision. She wanted to get out of this poverty and have a life like everybody else does. And to get to that, to get to that solution of having a life that she desired, she focused on what she had, which is her skills to do some manual labor. And that is what she went through. 
Soon, she was moved to her grandparents' house, her maternal grandparents, who were not very rich either. They were equally poor. And she had to live in what my mother calls a three-bedroom house with 10 other people. Now, I've been to that house, and it's by far not a three-bedroom house. In fact, there is not a single bedroom in that house. There were three tiny rooms, one very small room that you can call a reception room or the living room, which was just a small divan or like a single bed, a very, very tiny kitchen, which comprised of a kerosene stove and nothing else, and a small prayer room with a few idols and pictures of deities. So there were no bedrooms and she lived with 10 other people there. But okay, now she was in survival because at least her grandparents were able to provide her with meals and she didn't have to worry whether she's going to get a meal a day or not. When she lived in that condition, she worked for 40 cents a month, not an hour, not a day, 40 cents a month. She would do chores like washing up and all to earn 40 cents a month. And I sure thought that was hard. And then she had a dream to to educate herself so she could get a job and get herself a decent paycheck, which would lead to a happy family, which was ultimately her vision. She had to study on a park bench under a street light. Now, for me, that was shocking. When I heard that from everyone else, that was shocking. So I asked my mom again, mom, is this true that you had to study on a park bench under a street light? And her response was cool and calm. Yeah, so what's wrong with that? Uh, I was like, really? There's nothing wrong with that? And she said, well, you keep sending us selfies of yourself sitting in your garden. I don't condemn that. I said, well, mom, hang on a second. That is different. Me sending you selfies from my garden with a book, that's different. And she's like, how's that different? I was like, really? Are you serious? You don't see any difference? in my beautiful Swiss home, with the view of the amazing Swiss mountains, snow-capped mountains, and I've got this amazing hammock in my garden where I sit with my book and a mango tea. You don't see any difference in that? She's like, well, you've got trees, I had trees, you've got somewhere to sit, I've got somewhere to sit, you have fresh air, I have fresh air. Potato, potato, no? I was like, no, uh, it's not the same. She said, well, yeah, I do see some difference, which is, you have to pay for your gardener and you had to pay hundreds of pounds for, for your hammock. Whereas for me, all of that was free. The municipal corporation did it. And she laughed and said, mom, you, you can't be serious. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the difference is, okay? The difference is I choose to sit in my garden, whereas you had to sit on a park bench. And there, that's the difference. So she said, no, you're wrong. Who told you that I had to sit on that park bench? I, as well, just like you, chose to sit on that park bench because I could have chosen to run around in the street like all other children did, chasing dogs, throwing stones at them in the alleyway, or fishing out plastic bottles from gutters, or whatever games kids played back in the day. But I chose to sit on that park bench. I chose to read my books because I had a dream I had a vision and that's what I did. And it's that narrative. It's whether you choose to do something 
or you have to do something of what you tell yourself. And I know my mom keeps saying this to me as well. When I say, oh, I have to go to work early tomorrow because I have to learn this stupid new software that my boss has installed. Her narrative is different. She tells herself, well, I can't wait to get to work early because I want to learn the new software, which is going to make my life so much easier. And that's what she emphasizes on. She keeps saying to me, if you tell yourself, I have to, that's when misery creeps in. But if you tell yourself, I choose to, that is what empowers you. So that was the inner dialogue. So I asked her, okay, well, what did you learn sitting on that park bench reading all your books? And she used to read a lot of autobiographies and she learned self-efficacy. Now, self-efficacy, as we know, is different from self-confidence or self-esteem. Self-efficacy is the belief that I can. And she's always taught us as kids as well to never say I can't. Because if I ever said I can't, my mom would come up to me and ask me, okay, young lady, give me one good reason why you can't. And what do you say to that? A lot of times, say while watching TV, Olympics for that matter, or marathon or Wimbledon, I would just say, oh, wow, look at that. I couldn't do that in a million years. And I remember my mom saying to me, why can't you? What has he got that you haven't got? He's got two legs, you've got two legs, he's got two arms, you've got two arms. Why can't you? Give me one good reason why you can't. It's not like he's got eight legs and 10 arms uh, and you're disadvantaged. No, he's got exactly what you've got. Tell me one good reason why you can't. And sometimes I would come up with reasons, honestly, like, oh, he's got a lot more stamina than I do. And then she would ask me, do you think he crawled out of his mother's womb with that stamina? Or do you think he built that up over time? And then that would make me think, true, you know, I, I need to build stamina if I want to do what he does. And she reminded me, yes, maybe you can't do this tomorrow, but if you practice, you can do it too, eventually, someday. Yes, that is what my mom learned. And that is what she taught me, the I can spirit. And if I ever, even today, feel like giving up, if I feel that, oh my God, I can't, instead of stopping at I can't, I ask myself, what is one good reason that I can't? And oftentimes the reason is fear. And sometimes you get a reason which is either lack of resources or lack of skills. But then there's your answer. Then you know what is it that you need to get in order to go from I can't to I can. My mom worked doing chores soon enough, she was able to move on and start tutoring, which paid her a little bit more. She used all the money right from her 40 cents a month to whatever money she got from tutoring to get stationery so that she could go to school to buy pencils and books and things like that just to educate herself. Doing that, she managed to graduate with a degree in science, majoring in maths and statistics. She really wanted to become a doctor, but her situation was such that she had to take up a job. So she did manage to get a job right the day she graduated. And I asked her then too, mom, was it not hard for you to give up on your dream of being a doctor? And she said, no, it's not called giving up. I just reevaluated my situation and I realized there were some other priorities in my life. And I took it as a learning opportunity again. I had never studied finance and accounting before. And I thought, well, there you go. There's a new opportunity for me to study finance and accounting. And that's what I did. 
After graduation, she got married and started living in a joint family with, again, 10, 11 other people in a two-bedroom apartment. And she lived happily with everybody. She started working in a bank and she cared for her family and her career. So it wasn't just career, it was family and career. And she managed to do it all. When I asked her, how was it, mom, to take care of everything, family as well as job, was it difficult? And she said to me that what helped her is again, her perspective of thinking, what is it that I have got? And she thought of her family, what she never had. Now she had a family that she could rely upon. She learned a lot of social skills. And when there were hardships in her career early on, um, as a young mother, as a young woman, moving along her career, what she focused on is her strengths and her successes. She keeps telling me that whilst it's really good advice to learn from your mistakes, it's equally important to learn from your successes. Now, the example that my mom always gives me is imagine you are you have to climb a hundred steps. If you only focus on the end, which is the hundredth step, even when you're at 90th or 95th step, because you're not at the hundredth yet, you're bound to feel frustrated or burnt out, thinking, oh, I've walked so long and I'm still not there yet. But if you pause for a minute, turn around and look back and you'll realize how far you've come. And that would be a good motivation for you to carry on further. So instead of simply looking at your mistakes, also look on your success, learn from your success, repeat what has worked for you in the past. And the kind of mantra she gave us as kids was, if you've done it before, you can do it again. So when you study your past successes, build on your strengths and you tell yourself, well, I've done it before, I can do it again. That kind of motivates you. Um, jokingly, uh, if I ever said, no, you know, this is too hard. My mom used to tell me, well, when you say that next time you need to come crawling in. And by what that she meant, she always used to say that, look at a baby, a baby when it's born, it's not even able to hold his head up let alone walking, running, jumping, or any of that. But a baby eventually learns to crawl, learns to stand up, learns to walk. But in the process, before he can actually go from crawling to walking, a baby falls down like a hundred times. But after falling down twice, imagine if the baby were to give up and say, you know what, this is too hard. I'm just gonna carry on crawling for the rest of my life. We won't find adults walking today. Everyone probably would be still crawling. But that's not what we do. We're born resilient. We're born to, to bounce back up from our failures. And my mom keeps telling me, if you could do it as a baby, you can do it now. So tell yourself, I've done it before and I'll do it again. And that's the mantra that she learned and she taught me to, to count on our successes rather than counting on just failures. My mom joined the bank as a clerk and soon she moved on. She was successful and climbing up the ladder. She is now a chief manager for a very big bank in India, Saraswat Bank. But she didn't stop there. She didn't stop at her success. Now she, she's moved on to significance where she contributes to the success of other people around her. She has chosen to support the local community she helps them in whatever way she can. And that's really inspirational. And that's what she's taught us to, because that's what she learned from her life, that 
if you are alone, well, you can't go too far. When you have support and confidence of other people, that's when you can go further in your life. And just like Wintrade's slogan, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And that's what my mom believed too. She believed in two things. One was self-care and the other was support. Because one thing she says is you can't pour out from an empty cup. And by that, what she means is if you are feeling low and empty, there's no way you can care for others. So do look after yourself as well. And it doesn't have to be a massive spa holiday. Little things bring her pleasure. And that's what she taught us to do. And support is really important as well, because when you do things for somebody else, it brings meaning to your life as well. It makes you feel like you're significant. You're doing something for someone else. You're thinking beyond yourself. So when you're helping others, you're actually helping yourself a lot more. And the confidence that you get from other people, that will support you. That will, that will take you places as well. So that's what my mom learned from her journey. And that's why I say the stories that I have heard from two different people, one from her side of the family or people who know her past, do say it was a life of struggle. And my mom describes it as a life full of opportunities. So that's why I said the two stories don't match. The two stories have different sides. And these are the two different sides of her life. So one story describes her struggle, her struggle for survival, um, events success and significance and my mom talks about what she learned from it and what she would like to share with everyone here which is being solution focused focusing on what you have and what you can do with what you have to get to your vision to to fulfill your dream rather than focusing and being stuck with what you haven't got focusing on self-efficacy asking yourself what is it that I need to go from I can't to I can. Asking yourself that question, what is the one good reason that I can't? And the answer will be either resources or skills, and that's your answer, that's what you need to get. Studying your success and your strengths, not just your failures, because this is what will motivate you in life. And self-care and support, which goes without saying. And this is the reason why my mom was super excited to come on Wintrade today because she believes that it's a great platform for all women like us, entrepreneurs and men for that matter, to be here together, to learn from each other and to support each other. So that was my mom's story. And I'm really privileged that I got to share her story today with everyone. Thank you, Dr. Yvonne. Back to you. Thanks. Thank this was our Wintrade Global Talk. Thank you so much. You did so well. Thank you. We can't let this session end without actually seeing and speaking to the person who the session is all about. And did you enjoy it though, Nikita? How did you enjoy oh, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The hardest yeah. thing for me was to get answers from my mother when I was asking her story because she was like, there was nothing great. It was all good. It was all good. It was like, oh my God, but to me it seemed shocking, but to her it was all good. So oh, well, yeah, talking well. those answers out from her was the hardest thing. I'm glad that we found her and were able to, for her to join the Q&A, which I'm sure that you're going to have to translate and help us with. Let's see what people are saying. So we have Ingrid, who is one of our our ladies 
just always supports us. Nita, it's lovely to meet you. According to your daughter, you are quite an amazing woman. So, Nikita, you were describing your mother's life more than your own, and I was interested to know what are you particularly happy with in your own life story? Wow, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, wow, that's a really good question and a first question. Um, I think, Ingrid, what I am most grateful for is the parents that I've had, and my mother and my father, both of them, because I grew up realizing that the way I was parented is very different from the way my friends or people that I have seen, known, worked with were parented. I have traveled to more than 60 countries. I love traveling. And when I see people, the way parents talk to their children or children talk back to their parents, I constantly feel that things were very different for me in my household. And the most important thing, I think what my parents, especially my father, I would say, honestly here, taught me was to respect myself and that's the most important lesson to love myself and to respect myself regardless of what other people think and he treated me with great amount of respect and that's why i think i feel confident to face the world that i know how i want to be treated and if anybody treated treats me less than then i know i don't need to take that and i always got his back and my mom as well so i think that's the most important thing about my life i would say Aww. thank you very much thank you we've got Avinda also who wants to ask a question i'm going to say bye to you now ingrid and invite Avinda in Hello. Wow. What an amazing mother-daughter duo you are. Nikita, it's so encouraging to hear the story of your mum through a daughter's eyes. Anita, I want to hear from you because we haven't heard from you. When Nikita was telling your story uh, to us, I don't know whether you've seen uh, this program on Netflix. It's called Daughters of Destiny. And it's all about... Uh, young girls like yourself, Nita, that come from uh, unprivileged backgrounds and have had the opportunity to be educated and then they move forward in life. And I've, I really felt that, Nita, you are a, a precedence for young women who um, may not have the right opportunity in life, but through self-resilience, through self-belief, they move forward. I just wanted to hear your from your own words, Nita, especially when Nikita was born, and knowing how your own how you were grew up. What were your thoughts in your own mind, having a, a young daughter yourself? So yeah, um, so what my mom was saying that when she had me, I'm I'm the first born in the family. She was extremely happy. She never had any preference that I want to have a girl or a boy. So she was extremely happy to be a mother in the first place. And she, all she hoped was that she can give me everything that she ever wished for. I should not lack anything in my life. She wanted me to be happy and my life should be fulfilled with everything that I need. I can say this from my childhood that nonetheless, she always wanted me to learn value of things in life, not just to be, you know, I've got everything and um, not a brat or a spoiled person. 
So she made sure that everything was there, but I learned the value of those things as well. It wasn't just that, okay, you have all of this, but uh, yeah, I think she, she made sure that I valued those things and grateful for everything that I had in my life. Linda, thank you very much for your question. Really good. We have a question from Camilla and Camilla said, did you realize from a young age that you had an unusual drive and ambition? Where do you think it came from? निकिता तुला तर माहितीये मी प्रत्येक वेळेस कधीच कोणत्या गोष्टीची हार मानलेली नव्हती प्रत्येक वेळेस ती गोष्ट ती ओव्हरकम करायचीच होती आपल्याला thought of giving up no matter what it is and that's always been in her dna she doesn't know where it comes from and even when i was asking her this story so i could tell her story i asked her when did you consciously realize that you had this drive or you wanted to do something and she said i don't know but i know one thing she gives credit for is a lot of autobiographies she used to read a lot of autobiographies and she realized that there is no shortcut to success if you look at any successful person's back story you would realize the struggle that they've been through so i think that was one thing but uh, yes she has never learned to give up and i i have exploited that badly um because <laughs> I remember uh, I was I think in year 7 or something and I I wanted to watch a movie and she was not allowing me to watch that movie because it was before exams and she wanted me to study so I went up to her and said I have um, a math problem that I can't solve and I purposely tweaked the problem so where there were three variables in the equation I put four variables so the problem was not solvable but she didn't know that and she would not give up no matter what so she spent like four hours trying to solve a problem while she was sitting and doing that I watched the movie and went up to her and what's wrong and she said, So I do know this about my mother that no matter what she will not give up and I think that's what she's taught me as well consciously or unconsciously because I didn't know this about myself either I went for Carol Dweck's training on growth mindset and they started the training with a small activity where they gave people a problem to solve it was three dots and you had to put them in a line and they said okay you've got 2 minutes this was like an ice breaker activity after 2 minutes they said we'll give you the answer and we'll carry on with the session and as the 2 minutes were up i still was in done nobody was done and everyone said oh it's, it's so difficult or right, i give us the answer and i put up my hand and said no 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 i don't want to know the answer i just want to know because i have tricked my mom in the past i just want to know is this a real problem or is this a trick question they said no no it's a real problem i said so there is an answer to it they said yes there is an answer to it i said okay don't give me the answer you can give it to the others and carry on with the session but in my break i will not go out i will sit and solve this problem and then that that's what they used they said this is a classic example of growth mindset and mm-hmm. i was like no i don't have a growth mindset what are you talking about and they said why did you think you you didn't want to give up i said because if it has a an answer which means someone solved it if someone else can do it why can't i what have i not got that they have got if i put in enough effort i know i will get it and that's mm. that's the upbringing i've had and that's exactly what she keeps saying so that is absolutely amazing and in comparison to my life i've been running my women's network for 23 years now and it's been up and down up and down but i would not give up even through 
the pandemic last year, this time I was thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I could quite easily at that point just said, oh, it's just not worth it. But we found a solution and here we are today. And even with the tech problems, I am not going to give up. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, um, Dr. Yvonne, but I was talking to Sydney about this, your daughter, and for those of you who don't know, and I did say to Sydney, why don't you come up and talk about yourself and your mother? And both mother and daughter are too modest to talk about themselves. So yes, I know, I know your story. Um, <laughs> I know how you want to give up. And I know how, how much hardship you go through to just help everybody else, no matter what you're going through. I know all of it, but yeah, you're too modest to admit as well. So. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. 